take you back to your childhood. Over this morning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. my sin. 
somebody give him a hand this morning. Boy, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Hey, let's look at somebody next to you. And I, I think they say that the wave is the new high five, because I always used to say, give somebody a high five. So just turn and wave at somebody this morning. If they're with your family, go ahead and give them a high five. That's okay. Can we continue to worship this morning? We're going to sing about God's love for us. We just ask that you'll have freedom, freedom of worship this morning in this place.
there's something great. A lot of people look at that line in that song and think, that's really strange. We're talking about a sloppy wet kiss and, and our God. But when heaven and earth collide and heaven meets our messiness, it doesn't matter what the intimacy looks like. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's messy. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that'll come down here and sit Jesus into my mess and my sloppiness and the intimacy that we can have with him. It's incredible. Let's sing that chorus again, how he loves us. Touching every heart, you are here, 
safely to just come down front. We have prayer workers that want to pray for you. And when two or three people can come into agreement about something, I believe God is going to set loose something that you've never seen this morning. So I'm going to ask you as we continue to worship, to not be afraid, to not worry about what people are seeing on the live stream or what people are going to think next to you. If you need prayer this morning, we invite you just to come down front. stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop. Come on. He wants to work in your life this morning. Even when I don't see it.
blessing and I want you to just look at your neighbor or reach across the aisle with your hands and just pray for somebody. You don't have to touch them. We can stay socially distanced, but pray for somebody this morning because we don't know what people are going through when they walk in these doors. But I know one thing, that when you, when you feel God touch your life, you can leave this place and never be the same again. So Lord, all over this place, as we pray for one another, we pray your spirit will pour itself out all over us. And as we say every week that when we leave this place, we'll never be the same. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We welcome you to have your way with us this morning. Through the music and through the message, we invite you to disrupt our lives and our normalcy in every way possible to get us to where you want us to be. God, we worship you this morning in Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing like when God steps into the middle of a situation. And there's things that we face in our life that, quite honestly, we can't do anything about. And when he was singing that song, Waymaker, there's times in our life that we are faced with a situation and we think there is absolutely no way possible that this is going to work out for my good. You may be standing here this morning and you may be in that situation. I'm a living testimony that he's a way maker. And then when it looks like that everything is against you, and when it looks like with our own eyes that God is silent, that song says, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, it says he's working. And God wants to assure you this morning that he sees right where you are. He knows and he cares. And you may be standing here saying, I don't feel it, I don't see it, but I can promise you that he's not one that he could lie. He said he's working. He never stops working. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I speak over those that are gathered here and those who are watching online. God, whatever the situation is, 
right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, remind them, reassure them that you're working. Not to give up hope. Not to quit believing. God, to know that you're working. And not only are you working, but you're working all things together for our good. Even when we don't feel it. Even when we can't see it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can you just give him a hand clap of praise this morning? Just, Father, we thank you. Thank you for visiting us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Man, I'm going to fall over up here. We want to, uh, man, it is so good to see you. Everybody knows that I love snow. And, um, but I will confess that there are two times that this pastor doesn't like snow. That is late Saturday night or early Sunday morning. As a pastor, if I go to bed Sunday night or Saturday night and it's snowing, I don't like it. If I get up on Sunday morning and it's snowing, I don't like it. I say, God, just put a hedge of protection around these hours. And uh, so I woke up this morning and, and snow was on the ground and I thought, oh, great. But I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I'm so glad that we have the, the technology for those that didn't want to brave the weather and um, all that stuff that they're able to watch online. So we're thankful that they're with us as well. We are in, in a series called Selfless. And uh, we are looking at how that we live in a very self-centered culture. Uh, we talked last week about being bold in spirit. And we talked about how important it was to allow people to know who had made the difference in our life. And when we do that, we have to put aside some things and say, you know what, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to proclaim the goodness of God because they need what I have. And we become selfless. Next week, we're going to be talking about extravagant generosity. And um, how many people know what next week is? Some smart is going to say Sunday or seven days from now. Guys, if you're not raising your hand right now, you are in trouble. Next Sunday is Valentine's Day. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell on myself, I had no idea that next Sunday was Valentine's Day. Sorry, honey. But when I set up the series and begin to look at this, uh, and it didn't occur to me that next week we are going to be talking about extravagant generosity. And we know that Valentine's Day is not a religious holiday, but it is a day that if you don't buy some flowers or some candy, it's going to become religious real quick. You better do it. I'm trying to help you guys. But next week, as we preach on becoming extravagant in our generosity, uh, I'm gonna, God impressed on me, and, and I'll explain this more next week in, in the message as to why that I've been persuaded to do this, to do something that I've not done uh, in the four years I've been pastor. I think it's four years. I, when, you, when time flies when you're having fun. Um, we're gonna take up a, uh, and I tried my best 
to come up with a, a better way of putting this because, you know, I mean, people want to call this thing out back a picnic shelter, and I'm like, no, it's not a picnic shelter. We got it's a it's a pavilion, okay? Um, but uh, this morning, I, I just couldn't come up with anything any better. Uh, we're going to take up a love offering, and uh, and and with that, we're not raising it for anything in particular. Uh, but with it, what we're saying is, is God, you have all of me, and, and we want to express uh, our love for. Well, we always say we can't outgive God. And I, and I will explain more of this next week as to why and, and what has brought me to uh, even this past week to knowing this is the direction that God wanted us to go. And uh, so just think about that, pray about that. That'll be next week. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to talk about uh, being grateful in the grind. And in other words, uh, sometimes you have to be selfless because you do the same thing day after day after day after day. And it's really easy just to get tired of doing the same thing day after day after day after day. And I believe that in order for us to become selfless, we have to understand that, that, that there's a reason that we do the same thing day after day after day after day, that God has a plan for us. And in that, if we'll become grateful, then we'll see things change in our life. And this week, we're going to talk about becoming faithful in service. Faithful in service. Now, I want to start by asking you this question. If someone were to describe you with, with one word, one word, what would they say that you're always doing? What would they say that you're always doing? Would they say that you're always loving? That you're always caring? That you're always doing things to, to help others? What would they say you're always doing? Would they say you're always encouraging? Maybe you're always complaining? Maybe you're always finding fault. Maybe they say you're always working. Man, he's always working. Maybe people look at you and say, he's always working out. Anybody have that problem? Yeah, we got somebody over here. Always working out. I've never had anybody mistake that in my life. Uh, maybe they would say, uh, he's always on Facebook. He's always on Instagram. What would they say you're always doing? I mean, our series is called Selfless. And we have to, to think that, that, that most people, if we will admit, most of us live in a self-centered, selfish, self-gratifying culture. Self-promotion is so huge these days. They took a survey, and I was reading about this survey, and, and, and it was focused on teenagers. And they were asking teenagers, what is it that you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? Now, when I was growing up, it was like, man, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a policeman. Uh, I want to be, uh, I mean, our former pastor used to always say he, he wanted to be a garbage collector. He wanted to ride on the back of a garbage truck. That's what it was when I was growing up. But, but now, 54% of teenagers say that they want to be a celebrity. They want to be a movie star. They want to be an actor. They want to, they want to have their own YouTube channel where they can make lots and lots of hits and lots and lots of money. And I've been thinking about that, and I thought, man, is, is that really true? And um, this past week, I was, you know, God just always does this kind of stuff. God always does this kind of stuff uh, uh, for me. 
I'm sitting there and I'm listening to my daughter have a conversation with two of her friends. Now, technology is awesome because when I was growing up, we had a telephone with a cord. Anybody, anybody remember those with a cord? No idea, right? How many people use the rotary phone? Come on, where you had to dial. And Some of you are looking at me like I'm, like I'm crazy. But they were sitting there and they were talking. And, and I usually try to, I'll listen to the conversation for a little bit when you get three almost teenage girls and they're talking on the phone. After about 30 seconds, you tune out. You're like, okay, it's just those two. They're fine. I'm done. Uh, Reese, put your headphones on. So they're sitting there and they're asking. They're saying, and I hear the question and it piques my interest. What do you want to be? And they were like, I want to be in the movies. I want to be a singer. And I thought, man, it's true. I mean, here my daughter is. She's, you know, she's, she's my kid. You know, she should be wanting to be a firefighter. I don't know. Because I love fighting fires, right? Um, but 54% of teenagers. So what does that tell us? Some guys would say, I want to be the goat. I want to be the goat. Now, you're look, some of you are looking at me and say, why would somebody want to be a goat? I mean, why not a horse? I mean, have you ever seen them gallop? They're beautiful. But a goat? Why not a dog? You know, dogs are man's best friend. Some of you are saying, why wouldn't you want to be a cat? Nobody's saying that. Now, before I get any nasty messages, I am a cat lover, okay? There's proof of that because I have a stray cat that has taken over my entire two-car garage, so my car sit in the driveway, and this morning, I'm showing how much I love that cat because I'm out there trying to get the snow off of my car because the cat that I love has my garage. But people say, I want to be the goat. Speaking of the goats, how many people know what goat means? It's not an animal. I mean, it is, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's the greatest of all time, and uh, if you want to witness that, tune into the Super Bowl tonight, uh, because there's going to be a quarterback playing that um, he's pretty much the goat. Like him or hate him. But that's what it stands for. It, it's a, it, we live in a self-promoting, self-centered, self-oriented culture. And here's the problem with that. If you want to follow Jesus, his teaching says the exact opposite. His teaching is completely opposed to self-centered, selfish, self-promoting culture that we live in. Jesus actually said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you deny yourself of your natural instinct, because it is our natural instinct to promote ourselves. He says, if you can deny yourself of that, then you are well on your way to being great. He's saying, don't self-promote. Jesus told us, the greatest among you will be a servant. So if you are a follower of Christ, you aren't called to self-promote. You're not called to live selfishly. You're not called to, to live a self-centered life. You are called to live selfless. 
And in that verse, that's what he is inviting us to do. Denying ourselves and taking on the nature of a servant. In other words, serving isn't just something that we do. When we think about it, we think, well, I serve. That's what I do. Or when you do something, you say, I'm serving. Can I tell you that, that when you serve, it's not just something that you do, but it's more of something that reflects who we are. Because at the core of it all, we're called to be a servant. At the core of it all, when I get up every morning and look in the mirror, I want to be able to say, I am a servant of the Most High God. And when I serve others, I'm serving Christ. Serving isn't just what we do, but it's who we are. So when you look at yourself, what are you always doing? What would someone say that you're always doing? How would they describe you in one word? In Acts chapter 9, there's a, a story about a woman. And uh, I always got a kick out of this in growing up in church. Her name was Dorcas. First of all, what parent would name their kid Dorcas? And it's always great because you don't, there's probably not too many, we don't have anybody named Dorcas here, do we? About to lose a church member. I don't think we have any. But what's even better is, is when you read this, and we read this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that, that, that her name translates into Tabitha. Now, we do have some Tabithas. And uh, we always love to make the joke, somebody's name was Tabitha, we'd say, hey, Dorcas. If they didn't go to church, I had no idea what we were talking about. I about got two black eyes one time because of that. But this lady in Acts chapter 9, uh, Dorcas was, was the first Greek female mentioned in the New Testament. Now, we don't know a whole lot about her. The only thing that we know is, is found in verse 36 of Acts chapter 9. And it says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and always helping the poor. She was always doing good and always helping the poor. And when you read her story, we would find out that she would make clothes and she would give them to the widows. She would give them to those who were struggling. And so there come a point in time when this woman died. Now you can imagine that she had to be quite popular in town because when she was described, she was described as someone who was always doing good, always helping the poor. So when she died, these people were tore up. What are we going to do? She's gone. But this woman was so important to God and so important to her community that God sent someone to raise her. And then the word began to spread. Hey, Dorcas, she was dead. But now she's alive. The Bible tells us that many people believed in God because of that moment. Why was she so important in her community? What did verse 36 tell us? She wasn't self-promoting. She was always doing good. She was a servant of the Most High God. She was selfless. So then when you look at that story, and then once again you ask yourself the question, how do I, as a follower of Jesus, how do I become a servant? You may look at this story and say, well, that's awesome, but I can't sew. 
I can't make any clothes. Well, that story's awesome, but, but, but I can't help the poor. I don't have any money. I can't sing like those who lead us in worship. What can I do? How do I become a servant? And some of you are sitting here today and, and you know that as a follower of Christ, you understand that, that you're supposed and you need to be serving and to be living your life as a servant, but you just don't know what to do. You may be sitting here this morning and, and this may be the first time that the thoughts ever crossed your mind and you're sitting here trying to figure it all out. How can I become a faithful servant? For the remainder of our time, I want to talk about three different stories found in the Bible. Three people that did some things that allowed them to be a servant of the Most High God. Three images in these stories that I, that I want you to put into your mind. The first one is, how do I become a servant, a faithful servant? The first thing you can do is you can bring a lunch. There's a story in the Old Testament about King David. And King David was a war hero. I mean, if you were raised in church, you, you probably, if you're, if you're my age, you probably helped your Sunday school teacher put either David or Goliath on the flannel graph. David was this small, this tall, and Goliath was this tall, and, and you probably remember that. Or you remember singing the song, little David, oh, so small, but Goliath seems so tall. We're just going all old school this morning. But David was a war hero. And when he would come into town, it said that the women would line the streets and they would be so excited that David was there. Why was David so great? You say, well, he was so great because he won all these wars. He was great because he killed Goliath. He was great because, and you fill in the blank, because David did all kinds of wonderful things in his life. He was great because he won the battles. But today I want to challenge your thinking. David was great because he brought a lunch. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? All throughout David's life, when you look at him, he was always trying to do the right thing. He had a slip up here and there, but when you read his story, the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. Whether he was playing a, a harp for Saul or whatever it was. But the man, this man, he was promoted in the kingdom of God because he had the heart of a servant. You say, what are you talking about? David was, was the youngest brother, eight brothers. He was the son of a man named Jesse. And his older brothers went out to fight a war. And they were there and they were getting ready for war. They were preparing and David goes, or Jesse goes to David and he says, I need you to do something. Now, David, this, this is not going to seem important. But it's important to God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17 and 18 says, One day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. So here David is. His brothers are out getting ready to fight a battle. 
getting ready to be war heroes in his mind. And he's stuck here with his dad. And his dad comes to him and he said, hey, take your brother some lunch. Now, if that would have been me, I'd have probably said, you know how far that is? And then he said, just do it quickly. I'll get there when I can get there. Let them get their own lunch. Because what he was doing, it looked insignificant. I mean, he was the youngest, so he was probably always, always getting picked on and, and looked over. And, and, and here he is. Go take them lunch. Take the captain some cheese. And it may have seemed insignificant to him. But when you do something that's behind the scenes, something that you think maybe not, may not be visible to others, that's how David won the battle. Because if he wouldn't have taken the food, if he wouldn't have brought them a lunch, I think about what in the world would have happened if David would have looked at his dad and said, no, I'm not doing it. He wouldn't have been in a position to win the battle. The way to get promoted in the kingdom of God is not by self-promotion, but it's always, 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 always by serving. If you want to be great, you serve. You can bring a lunch. Secondly, you can offer a ride. In the Old Testament, Zechariah prophesied about 550 some years before the event ever took place. And what he said was, was one day the king is going to come riding on a donkey. Now, can you imagine what people must have thought when they looked at Zechariah? And they thought there is no way that any king is going to ride on a donkey. When a king comes, he's going to ride on a white horse. Because that's the symbol of power. If a king is coming, it's not going to be on a donkey. I mean, putting him on a donkey would be like putting him on a, a bicycle or, or a moped. But 553 years later, Jesus tells his disciples as they're getting ready to enter into Jerusalem, he said, I need you to go get a donkey. Go get a donkey. And if anyone asks you why you're doing it, tell them that the Lord needs him. So his disciples, once again, you're thinking, man, how did they get picked? They've got to go basically hijack a donkey. And so they're going and, and they get to this place and there they are and, and they look at this and they see the donkey and they walk up to it. Now the Bible doesn't tell us very much about this man, but we can understand that he was probably a business person. You say, why do you say that? Because having a donkey was something that, that was a luxury in those days. And the Bible doesn't tell us if he had one, if he had five, or if he had 500. But what we do know is, is that the one that he went to and the one that they walked over to was a donkey that had never been ridden. So it makes me believe just by looking at the context of everything that this man had more than one donkey. So when they approached him, he said, they said, the Lord needs this. And he offered a ride. He didn't say, no, you can't have it. He offered a ride. And the disciples, they did what the Lord said. And because this man was willing to offer a ride, because this man was willing to do what may have seemed insignificant, 
he made a difference. He made a difference because now the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, had a way that he could ride into Jerusalem, that he could make his approach for his final destination, his final purpose. You say, how can I become a servant? You can bring a lunch, you can offer a ride, or you can carry a towel. The setting is, is that Jesus and his disciples, they had entered in and they needed a secret meeting place because Jesus said, it's not time for them to, to take me yet. I need to have this last meal with my disciples. And so the Bible says that, that they went into town and they, and they met the guy and, and he showed them to where they would be. And they hurried up to, to the room and here they were getting ready to celebrate Passover. And as the disciples are sitting there, Jesus has told them everything is going to happen. And they're sitting there and what do you think they are doing? They are arguing over who's the goat. Peter's saying, no, it's me. I was the one who walked on water. And then one of the disciples looks at him and said, yeah, and you were also the one that sank. John said, it was me. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And this conversation is going on and on and on. And Jesus is sitting there probably just... You ever had somebody, you're just like, what are they doing? You have all these guys and they have these big egos and they're going back and forth about who's the greatest. And Jesus is sitting there knowing that he's getting ready to die. And he looks around at all of these guys and he sees probably two things, proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, he gets up and he grabs a towel. And probably they're still arguing back and forth. They didn't even notice Jesus had gotten up. But then he kneels down in front of the first one. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but it was probably the one that was being the loudest. And immediately the conversation stopped. And the conversation then turned to, Jesus, you can't do this. You can't do this. It went from, I'm the greatest, to you can't do this. You can't wash my feet. You're too good for that. You say, well, what, what's the deal about the washing of feet? You see, back then, everyone wore sandals. And if you've ever worn sandals, maybe at the beach or on a dirt path, you know that it doesn't take very long for your feet to get dirty. And so these people, they were walking in sandals. So when they got to someone's house, it was always normal that they would have a servant wash the feet of the guest. Now, we don't know if it was because they just wanted to be nice or if it's because they didn't want their nasty, dirty feet all over their floor. I mean, how many people would sign up for that job, washing somebody's feet? Believe it or not, we had one person say that they would in first service. It threw me off because I wasn't expecting anybody. Husbands, wives, let me tell you, if you've got somebody, if you've got a, a, a spouse that will massage your feet, you better hang on to them. 
Because I can tell you, most of us, if we're going to get a foot massage, it's going to be $20 down at the place right outside TJ Maxx. Because most people are like, feet are nasty. But here's Jesus. He looks around the room, and there was no servant present. They were hiding out. And when he sees that there's no servant, and he sees their proud hearts, and he sees their dirty feet, he sees them arguing about who's the greatest. He kneels down and he starts to wash their feet. And by that, Jesus is saying, the greatest among you isn't a self-promoter. The greatest among you is selfless. He's a servant. Jesus tells us, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I come to serve. I came to, to, to give my life as ransom for others. Matthew chapter 25 tells us another story. And it says that one day, that, that, we're, that we will stand before him. And on that day, he's going to look and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he's going to look at the goats and he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. They're going to say, we did all of these things. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then he's going to look at the sheep and he's going to say, welcome to the kingdom I prepared for you. He's going to say, thank you. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And we're going to look back and probably going to say, Jesus, I'm glad I'm getting in, but when did I do any of those things? And the Bible tells us that he will say that what you did to the least of them, you did to me. When you offered a helping hand, when you stepped in and, and helped those kids at Christmas or you taught a Sunday school class or, or, or you, those things that you did, when you sacrificially gave of yourself, selfless, you're doing that to me. When you welcomed that person that, that felt unwelcomed, when you loved that person that seemed unlovable, you were doing that as you did it unto me. How do we become great? We become great by becoming less. It goes against everything that society or culture will teach us. To become great, we become less. To become great, it becomes less about us and more about him. I would take it one step farther and say that it becomes not about us, but all about him. And then the Bible says that, that one day that we're going to stand before him. And it says, this is what he's going to say. Well done, thy good and faithful movie star, YouTuber, president of the company, pastor, worship leader, None of those. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. 
say, well, I'm not great at a lot. There's not a lot I can do. How do I become a servant? David just brought a lunch. The businessman just offered a ride. Jesus just carried a towel. And here's what happens. When you begin to to just step out and try to become more like him, becoming more like him, what does that really mean? We think about, well, it means that I, it means that I do, I'm better. You know, I don't talk about people and I don't do this and I don't do that. That's great. But in the end, what does becoming more like him really mean? Why did he say he came? To serve. Becoming more like him is becoming a servant. Promotion in the kingdom doesn't come from self-promotion. It comes from selfless serving. Putting others ahead of yourself. I would, every Sunday, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but every Sunday, uh, this um, worship team, some of them are here at seven, before 7 o'clock in the morning, before some of you have even rolled over to hit the snooze button. They're here every week for two services, selflessly serving. You say, well, that's easy. They're up front. There's other people that get here early to make sure that there's coffee, to make sure that there's food downstairs. There's people that come and clean the church. People you never see, but they're selfless. I was talking to a church in my hometown that... uh, they were a church plan, and they have just exploded. And I got the chance to, to have just a few minutes to talk to one of the pastors. And I said, what is it? What is it? What has allowed you to just make such a huge impact in such a short amount of time on this community? And they looked back at me, and their word was, we have church filled with selfless people. I said, I said, what do you mean? I mean, how are they selfless? They said, in everything. They're selfless in giving. They're selfless in serving. At that point, they were having two or three services and they didn't even have their own building. And they were having to, to, to set up and tear down. I think the first service started like at eight o'clock and, and they looked at me and said, there are a team of people here by five o'clock every Sunday morning to set all this, everything that we have to have to set it up. I said, you mean like one or two people? No, a team of people. And then they stay, three services, they tear it all down. I'm like, I said, well, how, how much do you pay them? That's the kind of society we live in, right? How much do you pay them? We don't pay them anything. They're begging to help. He said, as a matter of fact, we only have about three people that we pay. Now they have three campuses, 
two campuses. They have a school. Because they became selfless. Why were the disciples able to win the and start the New Testament church? After they finally figured it out. And I have to think that after Jesus rose from the dead, like we talked about last week, and after they saw him, I believe at that moment it all became reality to them. And they went back and they looked and they remembered the night that he knelt down and washed their feet. And it was just like a light came on. And they said, I get it now. And that's why that they were willing to die selfless. What would people say you're doing? They're always welcoming people at the door. They're always holding a baby so that others can be in service. They're always praying, lifting others up. They're always being a light to the people around them. At the end of the day, I want to be able to look in the mirror and boldly proclaim, I am a servant of the Most High God. And when I serve others, I am serving Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. I've got a timer on my watch to tell me when to shut up and it's been going off for about five minutes now. Just a constant buzz. Some of you probably have that same timer telling me when to shut up and it's been going off. I have, you know, we um, have a hard, I have a hard time because when it comes to like this series and I, when I, talk to and and the first thing I pray is God first of all lead me into where we need to go what I need to say the second thing is God let it connect and the third thing is God never let me come off as condemning but as I've been looking at this series and I've been thinking and, and, and praying about what God would have me share I believe with everything that is within me number one that I'm leading a great group of people no doubt in my mind a bunch of people who love God and so I have a hard time preaching messages like this or next week or the week after because because we're I love you guys. But I want you to know that anytime that I preach something, it started right here. Because there are days that I get up and the last thing on my mind when I look in the mirror, what I'm really thinking is, good Lord, this pastor is killing you. Hair falling out, bags under your eyes. But the last thing I'm thinking is I'm a servant of the Most High God and when I serve others, I'm serving Christ. And my desire is, is when I stand before God, that He will look at me and He's gonna say, well done, 
Thou good and faithful servant. And my prayer is the same thing for you because I know, I know if you haven't been here and you haven't been through growth track and you haven't heard the the way that we ended up here, it's only by the hand of God. And I know that God placed us right here in the middle of this community, not to just maintain a building. I mean, if that was all we were here for in this 100-year-old building, I'd be moving south. Or maybe north because there's more snow there. But when I think about it, I think, God, I know you've called us to do something. How are we going to get there? We have to become selfless in everything that we do. More all about him, not about us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close in a course. And as I pray, I'm just going to ask that I'm going to be asking God to, to check me. And if there's anything in my life that where I'm not putting him first, where I'm not being a servant, that he would just convict me of that. And I'm asking that you do the same thing. Because together, together, selflessly together, will be the salt and light that he's called us to be. Father, I come before you right now, and God, I'm so thankful, honored, and privileged that I have the, uh, the opportunity to stand in front of this awesome group of people. Father, I pray that as we strive every day to be more like you, God, that we will understand that what that truly means is become a servant. God, in the moment before Jesus would be taken, the only thing he was concerned about were the dirty feet of those people around him. Father, it would have been easy for him to be thinking in his mind, getting ready to die, getting ready to suffer. But God, all he could do was think about those people around him. God, I pray that's who I become. All about you, not about me. Father, as a church, I pray that as we seek your face, God, help us to become selfless. God, help us to be able to look in the mirror and without any hesitation say that we're a servant of you and that when we serve you, we are serving others. God, I love you. Father, I thank you. You're so awesome. God, I want to be like you. Can we close in this course?
Give me a handheld mic. I talk with my hands too much to do that. I pray that today you were challenged and um, that together as we strive to be more like him. And I pray that if you, uh, as you leave here today, you know that God has a call and a plan for your life. And that plan when it all comes down to it, it's just for you to be a servant. We love you. Uh, don't forget life groups start this week. And uh, if you haven't done that, uh, you can go to uh, the app store, download. We talked about this uh, last week and I'm gonna keep talking about it. Uh, Church Center app. If you need help with that, find somebody that look, looks like they know technology, probably one of these teenagers or middle schoolers or second graders. I, most of them know more than we do. Um, but uh, have them uh, download it and uh, help you get it set up. But in that app, you can find everything that you need to know and um, all the life groups. And you can give there. You can see all the events on the calendar. Uh, you can do all of that. Um, thank you for being here. And um, we love you. Uh, I don't think it's snowed anymore since you've been in here. And uh, go home and root on Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs>